Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. I want to start off by saying that um, my most loved family partner this morning uh, is Cindy Janana. She brought me some uh, uh, sodi water. In case you don't know, I'm very bougie. Uh, as, as, the, as the pastor team will tell you, I'm the bougie one of the group. I drink, uh, I have my own soda stream that I... I uh, have a, a very fancy water filtration system that my wife installed. Yes, she installed it while I was away on a business trip once. Yeah, she's like straight handyman, go Molly. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm constantly putting a little lemon or a little uh, lime water and drinking sodi water. And uh, the bougie-ness in me very much appreciates when people bring me bougie water for me to preach with. So I'll, I'll make sure I partake of it a few times. Saturday mornings um, are always the day that I, that I write my sermons, and um, it's kind of been that way for, for quite some time to where that I, uh, I like to write on Saturdays. I like to study all during the week, and then Saturday I get there and, you know, kind of just begin to really lay it all together. That way it feels fresh when I come to, to preach about it, and I'm not trying to rethink about why I said what I said. And then on Sunday morning, I kind of do a, a, a complete like rewrite over it and then put in my notes into uh, ProPresenter. But yesterday, after having spent the week in San Antonio on business, I was feeling a little bit like, bah. You know, you, does anybody else feel blah sometimes? And then, you know, when you woke up yesterday morning and, and it was so bright outside that you couldn't look outside and you're like, it is November and there is snow. Did anybody else feel that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so yesterday, I, I wasn't really feeling it. If I'm going to be honest with you, I, I wasn't feeling it. My, my, my uh, uh, feng shui, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call um, writing sermons, um, I, I just looked at Molly. We we're sitting on the couch, and I said to her, I go, I go, I'll make a deal with you. If you write the sermon, I'll preach it. Right, like that's some deal she's about to take. She's, but she goes, deal. And she jumps up out of the couch and she runs over and grabs a ruled notebook. And, and she starts to intently start writing and scribbling. And, and, I, and I'm like, what, what are you doing? And, and every time I would like try to lean over to see what she was doing, she would do like this. And like, uh, I, I tend to make the coffee for us most mornings. And, and I go over and I start making our coffee. 
which by the way, it's bougie as well. And I, I, I start making our coffee and I walk over to give her uh, our coffee and she once again doesn't allow me to look at it. And, and to the point, it starts annoying me. In case you don't know, I have the patience of a petulant two-year-old. Um, so I start to get annoyed and I'm like, are you just gonna let me see this? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's like, just chill out. Because she's like the most, um, if you understand personalities, we call it like a, a green blue. She's a green blue personality trait. And so she's just like, let me have my time. Let me, let me do my thing. And so she, she does it and she hands it to me. And when she does, what she hands me, I, um, while I was enraged, you know, 20 minutes earlier because it was taking so long, I started laughing so hard I started to cry. And then I started taking photos of what she sent and I sent it to, um, to the guys. And, and so this morning we're going to recap everything that we've covered in the book of Jonah thus far through the eyes of a children's minister. <clears throat> so here we go. I have it up for you. Here's Molly's beautiful artwork that she did for us last week. Um, boom. All right, so here we go. Here is the recap of where we went thus far in the book of Jonah. So God calls Jonah, says, Jonah, go preach to Nineveh. And he says, nah, I'm a bounce. Okay, so nah, I'm a bounce. And, and, and Jonah essentially runs from God. He runs from the call that God has put on his life to go to the city of Nineveh to preach to the Assyrian people, to preach a, a very specific message, to preach a message of repentance. And what we do know about Jonah is that Jonah was already an older prophet who had faithfully been serving in the northern kingdom of Israel up until this point. He was a faithful man of God but he had a prejudice against the people in Nineveh, against the Assyrian people. They were wicked, terrible people. Um, and so what does Jonah do? Jonah goes, hey, I'm not gonna go to Nineveh. And he goes in the direction, as we see right here, not Nineveh. <laughs> and he goes down to Joppa and he gets on a boat. And as he gets on this boat, he goes down into the bow of the boat, as the scriptures tell us, and he falls asleep. And he falls asleep, much like Jesus fell, falls asleep, and a storm starts to come up. A quail comes up on the sea. And so much so that the mariners freak out, these seasoned mariners, and they start to throw stuff over the side walls. And they're trying to right the ship because they know the ship is about to be broken apart. And so then they begin to cast lots, and the lots land on this guy named Jonah. And they're like, hey, bro, what did you do? What, what, what was it that, that you did that would cause this thing to happen? And they're like, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm running from the God who created everything. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, you know, the God who made the heavens and the skies and the sea and all the fish that are in it and everything. I said, no, I'm a bounce. And so he's after me. And so they begin to pray to God because they know what they got to do because Jonah tells them, he's like, hey, if you want to live, you got to kill me. You got to throw me over into the sea. It'll make everything go better. Somehow Jonah knew. He knew what God was after. And so they begin to pray, God, don't let this man's blood be on our hands. You know, hey, we're doing this because we got to. And they cry out in salvation to the God of the heavens, to Yahweh. And they throw Jonah over the sea. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in a flash, what was like a hurricane becomes as a pond. And as Jonah's there, he's floundering in the sea. And what we see is that Jonah essentially, we don't know, to what degree, but Jonah essentially drowns. 
It begins to sink to the bottom of the sea. The scriptures show us that the seaweed is wrapped around Jonah's head. It's not like Jonah gets thrown out in the water as the children's story would show us and all of a sudden a big fish comes up. You know, it doesn't happen like that. Jonah is floundering in the sea. He is at the depths of the sea. And then the fish, the great fish, comes and grabs him and contains Jonah for three days and three nights. And over the last couple weeks, we have been in the prayer, in the belly of the fish. And in particular, last week, I kind of want to draw back as we look here. He's in the water, and now he's in the belly of the fish. Last week, A.B. told us, He said Jonah was helpless, but he was not hopeless. While Jonah was in the belly of the fish, we see that he cries out to Yahweh God creator, who he knows is the sustainer of his life. And for some reason, he is not being broken down by the stomach acid of the fish, but he is being preserved. He is being saved as in this place that he likens to Sheol, the depths of the earth, or hell, kind of like this purgatory state that he is in. And from the belly of the fish, Jonah, Jonah begins to worship God because Jonah thought he wanted to die. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. But it is in the depths of the sea that he awakens his heart and that he sees that he is repentant and he calls out to God and he begins to worship with a a bit of desperation, as A.B. said last week. And so we see that Jonah has this renewing of faith and what Jonah had learned is even when it was painful, he was still called to be thankful. Right? How many of you are thankful even amidst your pain? Sometimes that is kind of, um, you know, definitely the antonym is to be thankful in a season of pain in our life. But as we closed out last week, Jonah had the distinct honor to be vomited from a fish. Right? So here it is. I love how she wrote, vomit. And then God said, Let's try that again. And so this week, here we are. Let's try that again. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And can you guys give my wife some love this morning? Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and 40, or yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. God, we ask that you would show up in this place. That, Lord, that we would hear your voice, that we would be obedient. Lord God, I pray that you would move in and through my words today just as you did through Jonah's to the city of Nineveh. That God, that both saint and sinner would be drawn to you. And that God, that we would give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. So once again, I'm going to say this again. Anytime in the Old Testament you see all four letters of Lord capitalized, it signifies the proper name of God, Yahweh, okay? So we see the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, what church? The, all right, let's try this all together. Look, in case you're new to rest, we're a participatory church, at least when I want you to be. And right now is when I want you to be. So here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jonah has quite literally had his life turned upside down because of his failure to obey God's call on his life. Okay, so Jonah has rebelled against God and all because God knew, I mean, Jonah knew God's mercy quite literally was going to be poured out on the Assyrian, Assyrian people in Nineveh. As we previously discussed, Jonah had a prejudice against the people of Nineveh. Why? Because the Assyrian people had pillaged and had plundered the Israelite people. And so it's much like, you being called to go minister to the Taliban, to go love and to shepherd and to call them to repentance. And you have this fervor. It's like going to the exact people who committed the September 11th tragedy and going to them and delivering to them the gospel, knowing that God the Father would beckon their heart, draw them to himself, and that he would give them forgiveness. It is likened the same thing. And so Jonah, having experienced the blessing of God, God's mercy, the blessing of God's grace previously in the northern kingdom of Israel, he looks at this situation and he says, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. And so that's where God captures him. And so now for the second time, he is being called to go. Before we move on to this portion of the second time, we're going to set down here real quick. And it's because it's easy for us to just jump to the second time. All of us want to jump to the second chance, right? We all like second chance. Can I get an amen? amen. We all like to never be counted out, amen? And, and we like to see God as a forgiving God who is, who is merciful above all things, right? Are you with me or not? Yes. yes. We love God's mercy, right? Okay. So we got to sit down here because it would be all too easy for us to just jump right to that and to whitewash Jonah's sin. We need to not overlook Jonah's rebellion and only look forward to God's second chance. Make no mistake, Jonah was in sin. Jonah's actions were fueled by hate and possibly racism. And in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, there is no place for hatred or racism. In fact, they exhibit the exact opposite of the heart of God. Given that the scriptures clearly show us that Jesus came to earth to die for all men and all women. And in fact, Paul goes on to say, speaking of the family of God, Paul says that within the church there is neither Jew nor Greek New, nor man, nor woman, nor slave, nor free. He says that in the family of God, we are all on the same playing field. We all are from the same place. We are all God's creation, right? What's the, what's the song? 
yellow. They are all. We need to do Bible school. I mean, my goodness, we're we're forgetting our we're forgetting our cores. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in His sight. There is no one. Not one race, not one people group, not one language, not one creed that is above them all. They are all equal in his sight. Additionally, if you run from God or allow sin to run rampant in your life, there is no guarantee, church, that you will get a second chance. I want you to hear that. If you continue to allow sin to run rampant in your life, if you continue to follow your own selfish desires, your own selfish gratification, there is no promise that you will get a second chance. Remember, God was willing to kill Jonah and the mariners in order to capture Jonah and bring him to Nineveh. God was willing to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so what we have to understand is that, you know, God, God sometimes, his will is to take us out. And, and I know that sounds crazy. You're like, am I in church? Did the pastor just say God's going to take me out? Yeah, that, that's, that's quite literally how it happens sometimes. So there's no promise of a future state. And so what we need to do is we need to not look at Jonah and go, hey, I can be like Jonah, you know, in the, in the 23rd hour of the night, you know, hey, I can pull it together and I'll go follow God, but let me do my thing until then. Treat yourself. Right? That's, that's, that's not how that works sometimes. In the case of Jonah, God is on a wake-up mission. Say wake up. Come on, say wake up. John Owen says this, he says, this is, a, this is a Puritan pastor, he says, be killing sin or it will kill you. And so as we look in at Jonah, what we, what we have to understand is that we must be at an all-out war with the sin that is in our lives. We can't, we can't whitewash it, we can't run away from it and think, oh, I'll just get another chance, I'll just get another chance. We have to be at war with our sin. Be killing sin or it will kill you. But now, just make sure I don't whitewash it, said all that. But how amazing is it that God does not give up on us even when we are dumb? Come on, where, where are you at, people? How amazing is it that God does not give up on it even when we are dumb? I want to tell you this. I want to just pause right here. Um, God does not embrace cancel culture. Did you catch that? God does not embrace cancel, cancel culture. God does not turn his back on us even when we turn our back on him. Even when we say something dumb, God doesn't go, hey, I'm checking out, I'm done with you. No, no, no. If you are here, if you hear my voice, if you're watching online, God is saying to you today, I have not canceled you. You are still here and I am still available. I am still available. If you will call on my name, even from the depths of the fish, even from the belly, even from the depths of the ocean, I am still here. My grace is still available. And that's what we see here. God comes to Jonah a second time. It is a testimony of grace and God's goodness. He's not done with you yet, church. Limitations, three. 
Verse 22. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the book. The steadfast love of the Lord never, what churches? Come on. I need your help. The steadfast love of the Lord never, his mercies never come to a, amen. Can I get an amen to that? Just as those who were in rebellion cannot escape his judgment, we cannot escape his mercy when we call out to the name of the Lord. For our heavenly Father lavishly gives his grace and forgiveness generously to all who ask. Paul writes, he says, that if anyone would call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. His grace is there. It is waiting for us if we will call out on it. Pastor A.B. said this last week, and man, it stuck with me all week. God might be angry at your rebellion, but he is never angry at your return. Let me say that again. God might be angry at your rebellion, but he is never angry at your return. Maybe you are like Jonah on a mission to run away from God's call on your life. Possibly you're running from God because you are bitter about how life did not turn out as you wanted it to. God wants you today to step out of your brokenness and into his healing. He wants to give you, like Jonah, a second chance to follow him and to live out the calling that he has placed on your life. And and I say this so often, I, I have to pause here, it's not my notes, but you do have a calling on your life, whether you realize it or not. If God has put someone in your life, he has given you a position of influence. He has given you a position for you to live out his goodness in your life. If you're a parent, you have a calling to shepherd and to grow your kids. If you are a brother, a sister, an aunt, or an uncle, God has given you a position of influence that you should use. That is, at all, bare minimum, your calling. And so God is saying, step out of your brokenness today. Step out of your place of bitterness and come to him so that he can bring healing to your life. Chuck Swindoll. One of the better modern day theologians said this God's forgiveness extends to the worst offenders and to anyone who wishes to receive it not because of who we are but because of who he is it's not because you have done anything inherently good that you deserve grace in fact you deserve nothing more than death And that's what makes us all equal is that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore we were equal in the sight of God. We are wicked sinners who deserve death. But thanks be to God, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. He took our place, absorbing the propitiation or absorbing the wrath of God, becoming our propitiation for God the Father. Praise be to God. God wants to give you a second chance. God wants to heal you from your brokenness that this season that you are in. And he is faithful. 
and he can do it. But you have to take that first step. You have to surrender your heart. You have to come to him with a contrite and humble heart. And so we see God calls, Nineveh, calls Jonah to Nineveh a second time. Verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Well, right here, we're, we're following exactly the same words that we saw in chapter 1. It's almost like Jonah did a control C and then a control V or if you use a Mac, the open apple C and the open apple V while he was writing this book on his, um, on his scroll as if they had those back then. And so he, he literally copies and pastes verse 2 of chapter 3 like it is in verse 2 of chapter 1. We don't get a clear picture but of how much time has elapsed from the time that he's been vomited out of the fish to this point. We don't know, is it, is it days, is it weeks, is it months? But clearly Jonah has had to have some sort of time to recuperate. I'm sure he came out white as Casper the ghost coming out of the belly. He was probably exhausted. He needed a little bit of food. He needed a little bit of nourishment before he goes to Nineveh. But there's some sort of time that has passed here. And now he is following the call on God's, uh, God's call on his life to go preach against the way of the Ninevites. Go preach a message of repentance. Say repentance. The message he is called to go preach is not one of his own accord or of his own personal dissertation on how he believes that their culture or their practices are inherently bad. He's called to go deliver a very specific message from God. When many people visualize this message in their mind, they visualize Jonah kind of like a modern day church. And they visualize Jonah coming with his, with his big fancy suit and his nice tie. And he gets behind some big, humongous, you, you know what I'm talking about, those big, 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 big lecturings. I've preached behind one and I like basically am like this the whole time. Um, anyways, but, but we, we, we see in our mind Jonah coming to Nineveh and he's preaching with so much vigor in his suit and he pulls out his big handkerchief. And I don't know why I think handkerchief. He pulls out his big handkerchief. He wipes his brow with all the sweat from the, from the hardcore vigor that he's preaching with. But that is not what happens in the scriptures. In fact, what I love about the story of Jonah is it is little about what Jonah says and big about the God who gives him the words. It's little about what Jonah says. That's a poor depiction of the actual events and it diminishes the effectual call of God on sinners when we think of it that way. The message that God has given Jonah is completely God's message and little, little about Jonah. And Jonah has been tasked to deliver it untarnished and unchanged to his narrative and with his personal bias. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Okay, so I got, a, I got a photo here of Nineveh um, based on archaeological um, 
This is a painting, actually, based on archaeological um, renderings and things that they do know about Nineveh, what it would have looked like during that season and during that time. In fact, you can get online, and prior to ISIS or ISIL taking over um, the city of Mosul, because the modern-day city of Mosul, Iraq, is actually where Nineveh was. And um, you can see photos prior to that of archaeological things where they had actually rebuilt some of the city walls. But um, during this time um, of Jonah, uh, this was the largest known city in the world, Nineveh. It's humongous. In fact, Nineveh was about seven miles long, and it, that's absolutely enormous for that time period. Scholars believe about 120 people live there. In fact, the book says that there's right around 120 people, 120,000 people that live there. And not just this, but Nineveh was a juggernaut kind of city because of where it was positioned. It, it's, it's kind of in this commercial crossing of routes between the Tigris uh, River um, and between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. Thus, it kind of unites the east and the west. It received wealth from many of these sources. And Nineveh is the last capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And so if you've ever studied world history, you've probably talked a lot about the Neo-Assyrian Empire and and what's going on there because they were kind of one of the most dominant forces in older antiquities. And so God calls Jonah to go to this enormous city to go preach a message of repentance. And so what we see here, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city and he goes about a day's journey. We don't know the exact reason why Jonah stopped where he stopped. The scriptures basically depict it was three days journey wide. It's three days journey wide. But for some reason, Jonah goes one day's journey and he stops. We don't know if God gave him some holy Geiger counter that that he went in and it was like, hey, this is the neighborhood of most influence. This is the place of most influence. We don't know the exact reason for why he stops in this place. But what we do know is that he delivers these eight specific words. Say eight. Eight specific words. Yet 40 days. He says, hear me, hear ye. In 40 days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. The cynic in you, I'm just going to go ahead and say what you're saying to me, um, even though you're not saying it. I know he must have preached more than that. That's what the cynic in you is saying. That dude must have said more than that. The realist in you is saying, I wish that was the length of your sermon. In all reality, as you'll see in next week's message, these words proved to be very effective at moving the hearts and the minds of the people of Nineveh. I'm going to read that again. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
These words proved to be very, very effective. And, and, and the cynic in you goes, how? How is this effective? And I, I want you to take a photo. I want you to write this down. I want you to hear this. And the guys who have been in my D groups before, they're going to know this pitch that I'm about to give you. Why is this important? Why is this effective? Because the gospel is not a used car. And it does not need a used car salesman to do its bidding. The gospel is not a used car and it does not need a used car salesman to do its bidding. We in this culture, for some reason, we treat the gospel as if it is weak and ineffective. That we need to spruce it up a bit before we deliver it. That we need the music to be just right, the lights to be down low, in order for the message of the gospel to penetrate a person's heart. And little do you know, it has nothing to do with the ambiance. It has nothing to do with how that we project our voice, how low, how soft, how sweet. It has everything to do with the draw of the Holy Spirit. We say things like, at times with the lights right. Your life will never be better if you come to Jesus. When we know that that's not what the scriptures promise us. In fact, sometimes people are like, I can't believe you say that from the pulpit. The scriptures actually tell us that if we come to Jesus, if we give our life, you will be hated by men because I was hated by men first. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. Life won't be better, but you will never be alone. That's what we need to say. That though the darkness may befall upon us, joy will come in the morning because you can punch my lights out, you can kill this life, but when you do, I will be in the eternal rays of glory in Christ Jesus' bosom. All the gospel needs from us, church, is our voice box. Our willingness to be used. God is not entrapped by our clever words or tone of our voice. We fail to share the gospel so often because we believe that we are unqualified or we need more training to do it right. When God just needs us to open our mouths and he will take care of the rest. Jonah doesn't need to say a whole lot because it doesn't predicate upon him their repentance. Jonah just needs to deliver the word that God has given to him and God will sort out the rest. Because the truth is, is what Jonah is saying, what Jonah is, is, is going to, to, to tell them essentially is this, is your way of living in saying what he does. He says your way of living is wicked. It is abhorred by God and God is calling you to repentance. That's effectively what he is saying to them. If you don't repent, the, the city will be destroyed. The kingdom will implode. If you don't repent, the kingdom will implode. And, and this message sometimes we are afraid to say because it's like having something valuable broke in your house. I've got a photo of some redneck china. How many of you grew up with some redneck china in your house? Right. Some of you aren't sure how to take me. But it's, a, it's, it's brutally honest. I mean like, you know, um, maybe you come from humble beginnings and you had some nice Nice china that stayed in the cabinet and you only brought it out for two occasions. What are those two occasions? 
Yeah, there it is. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Maybe Easter. Easter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, us resurrection people, we get it out for Easter. We resurrect that China. It's been dead and now it's alive. All right, anyways. But the truth is, is the gospel is kind of like some China that's in a house with a bunch of kids. And how many of you were told as kids, don't throw the ball in the house? Don't throw the ball in the house. I, we did it all the time. There's seven of us. I come from a big family. There were seven of us. And, and the truth is, I actually called my mom to see if we ever broke anything. She couldn't remember anything. And so essentially what she told me was I was the best kid ever. And if she could have raised seven, you know, it had been great. She wanted me to wrap me and you out some, but I was like, I'm not telling that story. Um, anyways, uh, I imagine it's kind of like this. You have this beautiful china cabinet. And, and not that it's worth a lot, but it's irreplaceable. And you and your brothers and sisters, you're in there and you're throwing ball and you're throwing it back and forth. And all of a sudden, you know, you throw that wayward ball and crash. And great, great grandmother's beautiful bowl that you've eaten potato salad out of so many times is now broken. And you come to this crossroads where you're like, who is going to tell mom, right? And you know who it's going to be. It's going to be the baby, right? Can we all, can we all agree it's collectively going to be the baby? Because that's the one who mom and dad, for some reason, let it slide. And for some reason, every parent is an idiot in this regard. They always are oblivious to the fact that that's really, they try to deny it. Every parent I know, oh, we do not let them get away with more. You're kidding. You're kidding. You would have like literally made me be grounded for the rest of my life if I would have done that. But, so you let, the, you let the youngest one go do the bidding. And the reason why is because you know that someone is going to get killed. That the messenger is going to get killed in this case. And you're hoping that if the little bitty itty one goes to mom or dad, that it won't be that bad. And so the, the little one, mommy. I got, I got something I got to tell you that's bad. And they, they, they deliver the news. And you deliver the news in that fashion because you're hoping that it will lessen the blow and that the consequences will be diminished. For some reason, that's how we treat the gospel. But the truth is, is that the gospel... It is a valuable thing. And the weight of the call to repentance will always come with a sting. God has called Jonah to go preach a message of repentance. Preaching repentance is never popular. You're telling people that they're living in sin or in rebellion against God, and that they need to ask God for forgiveness in turn from the way that they're living. That is never going to be a popular message. It will always be just like the beautiful vase or the bowl that's irreplaceable has been broken. It will sometimes go over like a lead balloon. The message of repentance is difficult even when folks are aware of God and his grace. 
It's even difficult in those cases. If I look at you point blank and you claim to follow Jesus and I look at you and I know that you are living in sin and I tell you what you're doing is wrong and God hates the very thing that you're doing, it still will not be received with open arms and love and kindness most of the time. But can you imagine being Jonah? You're not going into a church of mutually um, um, believing group of people. No, no, no. You're going into a place that literally murders your people, that literally plunders them and steals from them. That's the place that God has called you to go. Not to, not to some little no-name village, but to the largest city in the world. God says, go and call them to repentance. A message of repentance is, is difficult even among people who do heinous things. Yet Jonah is faithful in this second call and he delivers these eight short words that God called him to speak. We need to pause here because the truth is, is God has called you to speak just like Jonah. We have all been called. If we, if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord, if we confess him to be the Lord of our life, we have all been called just like Jonah to go preach the message of repentance. Matthew 28, to go therefore. Acts chapter one, to go into all the nations. That we are to go tell everyone about the name of Jesus. To tell them about the redemptive work that was done on the cross. How that sin and death was conquered and destroyed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are all called to be the forebearers of that message of repentance. And the truth is, is when we try to diminish it, we go without the full gospel. We are called to share the full gospel, church. What do I mean by that, the full gospel? Without the full gospel, we don't know what we're saved from or how precious the grace of Christ Jesus actually is. It's going to be just like telling your mom her prized china has been destroyed. They might not receive it at first, but that's for God to work out the rest. You're called to just share. You don't need to be a used car salesman. You don't need to try to convince them this, that, and the other. You need to just openly share the good news of the gospel. Be faithful to share the good news. The good news does not need our polishing for it to be effective. We are not called to lessen the blow either. When we attempt to make the good news of Jesus more palatable, it is no longer good news, church. It is nothing more than moral religion or cosmic child abuse. The truth is there is a hell. And we will go there if we attempt to live however we want. Grace is free for those who are willing to repent and turn from their sin. But where there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that right there, my friend, is the gospel. And when we try to diminish and we try to say Unitarian things like there is no hell, we are literally carting people into hell. That is the message of the gospel. 
Jesus does not call for us to be perfect or that we would be perfect in this life. But, but, but we cannot say that we have fellowship with Jesus and still walk hand in hand with Satan, doing whatever we want. According to the scriptures, we cannot profess Jesus as Lord when our lives are completely embroiled with sin. That is the message of the gospel. That's not me saying that. That's what Jesus said. That's not what I say. That's what Luke says in Hebrews. Where there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. We are called to have honest gospel conversations with our generation, pointing them to the cross where grace came down and set us free. Like Jonah, we will be going into enemy territory to do it. But to not do it would be the definition of hate. Because essentially when we don't share the good news of the gospel, even though that it stands diametrically opposed to their worldview, what we are saying to them is I care more about not offending you in this life than seeing you eternally be burned and suffer in the life to come. That's the truth. And some of you say, Pastor, How can I go to anybody and tell them that message when I have the past that I do? When I've made the mistakes that I made? Who am I to go to them and and to deliver this message? Who am I to go to them and and say, Jesus has called you to, to, to surrender your life to him. Jesus has called you to live according to the scriptures. Who am, am I? How, how can I do this? I am disqualified. If anyone should be disqualified, it is Jonah. I want you to hear that. If anyone should be disqualified, it is Jonah. Jonah was a racist who hated the people of Nineveh, who said, I would rather die than go let God pour out his mercy on their lives. This dude had to be eaten by a fish. Eaten by a fish so that his heart could be wrecked by God. Yet God brought him right back to the shore so that he could get on the mound and pitch the gospel. Just because you've done some dumb things in your life does not mean you're unable to speak from a place of authority again. Culture has set up this false paradigm. Where if you make a mistake, you can never lead or speak truth again. When the reality is, is that God has always used broken people to share his message of repentance to the world. I want you to think about this. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. Looking into the future, Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. But Jesus says to Peter, basically, get up off your face when you do and go again and strengthen your brothers. We cannot let this tool that the enemy has sown into our society 
to say that if you make a mistake, you can never speak truth. You can, you can never ever stand upon the word of God. You can never ever do that. We should not allow the enemy to sow that seed of, 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 of lie into our lives because what it does is it effectively discredits anyone and everyone from being able to stand on a place of authority on the scriptures on any moral issue because the truth is, is we have all messed up. We have all royally messed up. Don't let the enemy tell you you can't because the scriptures tell you that you can. Like Jonah, when we speak, we don't speak on our own authority or from our own position or based on our good deeds. Rather, we speak on the authority from the authority of the word of God. Our message is one of yielded authority where we say God is the arbiter of truth and his truth condemns your unrighteousness and my unrighteous actions. Therefore, I am compelled by the word of God to bring to you this message of truth. Jonah Church is a sign of repentance for a people in need of repentance. Jonah is a sign of repentance for a people in need of repentance. He turns from his rebellion and runs towards God. God does not rebuff him, but he welcomes him into his arms. Now I want you to hear this again because this might be where you're at today. God might be angry at your rebellion, but he is never angry at your return. So as you sat there today, as you sat in that chair, God is saying to you, I want to give you a second chance. You're here in this place because he wants to give you a second chance to live out the calling that he has placed on your life, to turn from your sin and to live in the holiness that he can provide. That is the calling on your life. Our God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And we are a people of a second chance. He's calling you out of your sleep. He's calling you out of the depths of the sea, out of the belly of the fish, from Sheol to himself. And he says, come home running. Where's your heart at? Are you currently in a season of rebellion from God? Have you been running away? Have you say, I'm a bounce to God? God's been calling you to use your talents, to use your life, to use your position, and yet you have been running. And he's saying to you today, stop running. Stop running. And for some of you, man, God, is, God has been beckoning your heart for you to open your mouth and to share the good news of the gospel. And you have been wiring it shut. You've been saying, I, I can't do it. They, um, the perception of the world about me might change. I can't do it. I, I have a business or my career might suffer if I do it. God can take better care of you than you can. Stop letting the enemy tell you these lies. Stop telling, letting him tell you, you you don't know enough to share. 
you, you, don't, you don't know enough about the gospel to share the good news. All you need to know is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. That God sent forth his son. He died on a cross and his blood paid our ransom. And he came back to life kicking the teeth of sin and death in. And that if we would call upon the name of Jesus, that if we would call upon the name of Jesus, we shall be saved. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Stop letting the enemy fool you into a place of nothingness. I I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. And stop letting your past discredit you from your future. God is standing today waiting for you to surrender. What is your response to to the message of Jonah? What is your response to this? Are you going to take your second chance today or are you going to keep running?